0: Hello, my name is Andrea and I'm a Covenant member here at The Well. <laughs> I'm also a part of the Sendero Hills uh, Community Group and I, serve, and I serve on Connections Team. Today I will be reading Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 through 35 in Spanish. Pedro se acercó a Jesús y le preguntó, Señor, ¿cuántas veces tengo que perdonar a mi hermano que peca contra mí? ¿Hasta siete veces? No te digo que hasta siete veces, sino hasta setenta y siete veces, le contestó Jesús. Por eso el reino de los cielos se parece a un rey que quiso ajustar cuentas con sus siervos. Al comenzar a hacerlo, se le presentó uno que le debía miles y miles de monedas de oro. Como él no tenía con qué pagar, el Señor mandó que lo vendieran a él, a su esposa y a sus hijos y todo lo que tenía para así saldar la deuda. El siervo se postró delante de él. Tenga paciencia conmigo, le rogó, y se lo pagaré todo. El Señor se compadeció de su siervo, le perdonó la deuda y lo dejó en libertad. Al salir, aquel siervo se encontró con uno de sus compañeros que le debía cien monedas de plata. Lo agarró por el cuello y comenzó a estrangularlo. Págame lo que me debes, le exigió. Su compañero se postró delante de él. Ten paciencia conmigo, le rogó, y te lo pagaré. Pero él se negó, más bien fue y lo hizo meter en la cárcel hasta que pagara la deuda. Cuando los demás siervos vieron lo ocurrido, se entristecieron mucho y fueron a contarle a su señor todo lo que había sucedido. Entonces el señor mandó a llamar al siervo. Siervo malvado, le increpó, te perdoné toda aquella deuda porque me lo suplicaste. ¿No debías tú también haberte compadecido de tu compañero, así como yo me compadecí de ti? Y enojado su señor lo entregó a los carceleros para que lo torturaran hasta que pagara todo lo que debía. Así también mi Padre Celestial los tratará a ustedes, a menos que cada uno perdone de corazón a su hermano. This is the word of the Lord. All
1: right, there we go. Uh, Church of the Living God, how are we? Good, good. Uh, Week two in our Uniquely Jesus series. You ready? Cool. Let's dive in. Um, As a quick reminder, uh, we are looking at uh, unique stories uh, about Jesus throughout the Gospels, uh, stories that only one of the Gospel authors tell. Uh, and we're looking at like, hey, why is this unique to them? Why would only one gospel writer tell us that story? And how is Christ uniquely pursuing us in the midst of this? And so this week we pivot over to Matthew's gospel to study the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so there's a ton that's going on here in this text, so uh, let's, let's dive right in. Matthew, uh, just to give us a high-level overview of this author, uh, is often focused on Jesus's kingship. And so what Matthew is often trying to highlight to us is how Jesus, this man, the son of David, is the Messiah of the world, that Christ is the king and the Messiah that would come. And so what happens is that Matthew focuses often on Jesus's fulfillment of the Old Testament, really writing predominantly to a Jewish audience, showing us how God keeps his promises and how God keeps his word to those who believe in him. Matthew, however, was not your typical Jew. You see, Matthew was a traitor and a betrayer of the Jewish people because he was a tax collector, meaning that many of his stories tend to be stories about God's redemption, about God's forgiveness, about how God can actually reconcile really reckless people to himself, kind of like Matthew. And so God's redemption of the broken is obviously a huge heart of the well, along with seeing how God fulfills or becomes uh, the better the truer uh, uh, Jesus in the scriptures. We see that Matthew is always saying, look, Christ is fulfilling all of the scriptures, and we love that as well. And so we share in Matthew's heart greatly. But this idea about who Matthew is, it makes this parable make a ton of sense. And I think it's pretty easy to understand why it's important to Matthew. Because see, Matthew knew that he had been forgiven a great debt, being a betrayer himself. And so hearing about God's ability to forgive In this way, would have blessed Matthew tremendously, and so once again, there's a lot happening here. And so, let me say this from the jump, okay? This is mainly a sermon about forgiveness, and teaching on the theology of forgiveness in one sermon is impossible. All right? Uh, So bear with me as I try to unpack all of this, but I'm not going to cover everything as Jesus actually had a lot to say about forgiveness, but this parable does lay some important theology about this understanding of mercy, about this understanding of forgiveness. And so as we dive into the story, it's really broken up in four different sections. There's kind of four different uh, plays, pericopes, if you will. And so Peter kind of kicks off this story, and he says, hey, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me, as many as seven times. Now, there was this common teaching that was going on at the time where rabbis would say it was abundantly gracious. In fact, it was gracious like God to forgive someone up to three times, which kind of makes sense because, I mean, our common teaching is that you better not mess up more than twice, right? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you, right? And so Peter is probably thinking he has a really, really big heart here. He, he probably thinks that he's the man, kind of. And if you want to drive yourself into the story, imagine the scenario. He probably walks up to Christ, like a little bit like Jesus. Kind of winks at his disciples, right? How many times should I forgive someone? Up to seven times. And he kind of winks back at his disciples. And Jesus says, 77 times, right? fully deflates that man, okay? And so uh, uh, this does say something about Jesus, though, that I think is really important as we kick this off, that Peter was with Christ long enough to know that there should be an extension on the common teaching of the day. He didn't say, oh, the common teaching is that we should forgive somebody three times. Well, then Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Two Right, that's not what Peter said. Peter did not see Jesus as more harsh with the law the way that some of us in our minds often paint God to be. Right? He saw Jesus as more gracious than what he could ever even imagine. Walking with Jesus this long caused Peter to know that God is a God of grace. And so he extends that common teaching of forgiveness to be even more gracious than what Peter could imagine. And so Peter takes this idea of three and says, how many times? Seven? And then God says, I'm ten times more gracious than you could ever imagine. And so he extends this that much more. And then to stress this point, Jesus told this unique parable that's only found in Matthew's gospel. That is freaking loaded, y'all. All All right, this thing is loaded. And so uh, let's let's take it up. The second section is that there is this king. Once again, this is hitting on the idea that Matthew sees Jesus as a king. He sees Jesus as bringing the kingdom. We are to represent the kingdom as Christians. And so he said the kingdom is like this. There's this king that came to settle accounts, and one of the servants owed this dude 10,000 talents, and he couldn't pay it, so he was going to be sold. This guy pleads, asks the king for mercy, and he doesn't just not sell him, and he doesn't give him more time. He actually forgives his entire debt, so that's kind of the first uh, section of this parable, Now, peep this, y'all, because 10,000 talents is significantly more than any individual, much less a slave or a servant, would have been able to pay at this time. In fact, that word 10,000, it's in the Greek, it's the word uh, myria, which we, we get our word myriad from, which essentially just communicates an unmeasurable amount, too much to be measured. And a talent was actually the largest sum of money at this time. And so these two ideas combined, myria and talent, would have been like using our English word zillions, where it's not an actual number, it's just a way to communicate, it's more than you can actually think. Of, for some of y'all, that's you will take away the sermon. You didn't know zillions was not a number, <laughs> right? And so, listen, this is an absurd amount. Okay, now a talent. What it was was it was twenty years of labor. And remember, the life expectancy back then was a lot shorter than than it is today. And so, this man owed this king two hundred thousand years of labor, y'all. Come on, dive into the story, right? 200,000 years of labor. In case you didn't catch catch the the thrust of the parable, the king is Jesus and we are the servants, okay? And so our sin measured up to God is like 200,000 years of labor. If you were to take a salary of, let's just say, $60,000, that would be $12 billion. So only Elon Musk could pay this debt. And remember, though, in this story, this is a servant. He's not a runner of his own company. He's a slave to the king. And so it would be impossible to come up with this much money. So, too, is our sin measured up to a holy and righteous God. And so the slave, he suggests to God or, or he suggests to the king that he give him more time to pay this off right? Be merciful, give me time, I will pay you everything, he says, as if he's going to live for 200,000 years and occur no more debt over that 200,000 years to actually be able to pay the king off. This is an absurd request, y'all. And yet, this is often how we act towards God, is it not? Like, like, we think that if given enough time, we can pay for our sins. We think that we have to do a certain work in order to appease a righteous God. And so we try to abdicate ourselves of our wrongdoing by our righteousness. But that's as silly as this servant thinking that he could pay off the king. All right? And so, like, like, this servant would be living forever in order to do that. Can I ask a quick question uh, about this king to help us think about the reality of this? Who loans out this kind of money, right? Who loans out $12 billion, okay? I had a hard time getting my bank to loan me $250,000 for a house. And this guy is loaning a servant $12 billion. Such is God's grace towards you, beloved, This is God's grace towards us. The Lord is gracious. He is merciful. He is patient. He is loving. He is kind despite our sins continually being stacked up against a holy God. He is gracious and loans out that grace again and again and again and again. And so the servant pleads and then this king, he has compassion on him and he forgives him. He didn't make this man do anything right? He asked for forgiveness, and then he simply got forgiveness. This is absurd, okay? But once again, it's a very clear picture of the gospel. All you did, Christian, was ask God to forgive you of a debt that you can't even really calculate in your mind how weighty it was against God, and yet he went and forgave. Your king is compassionate, beloved, Your king forgives you of your sins. I thought I'd have at least three amens in here. You see, normally we think about a king being cold, right? Or we think about a king being removed or domineering or distant. But this king is compassionate. In fact, it says that this king had pity on the servants And so this king, even though he's a true king, in fact, he's the king over all kings, he postures himself more like a mother than like he does a king. Both of these are true at the same time in our hearts. Now remember, Matthew was a tax collector, so he knew a thing or two about collecting debts. And he knew what this story meant to him. And so this story would have popped for Matthew that much more because how could you forgive somebody of this much debt? Now in comes act two, okay, the second act of this story. And so the dude's like, oh, for real? I'm forgiven of everything? Bet. And then he walks out, right, and he finds a homie who owes him 100 denarii, demands payment, almost kills the dude and throws him in jail. Dog, drama, okay. 100 denarii was about 100 days of wages or one-six-thousandth of the amount that he had just been forgiven, okay. Now, a couple of things to make this story kind of real for us, all right? Debt is our sin, very, very clearly. Hence the disciples' original question, how many times should we forgive someone who sinned against us? So debt is this understanding of sin. And 100 days wages is actually a lot of money, y'all. Like keeping up with this idea of a $60,000 a year salary, that's about $20,000 of debt. That's a lot of money, y'all. Y'all must be richer than me. I need three amens, all right? Or we're going to be here for an hour and a half, all right? Come on now. Like, Jesus isn't saying, like, when somebody sins against you, it's really not that big of a deal. Just go and forgive them. That's not what he's saying here in this story. It's a lot. It's it's $20,000 is somebody's sin against you. That's a lot of bread to just randomly owe someone, y'all. Right, And so sin is serious. Like, like sin, it does hurt us. It, it costs us a lot in that sense. Let's not get it twisted. Like, like if somebody owed me $20,000, I'd feel a certain way too, y'all. Right? Like that's a lot of money. Now what this guy does, though, is he falls down and he does the same thing that the original servant did. He asks for mercy, and then he says that he will pay him back the debt that was owed. And so this new servant, he's not just like, play a please. I just saw how much you were forgiven, right? Like that's not his posture at all. He's repentant. He desires to make things right, which is very important to this story. This servant, he wants forgiveness. He wants grace. He is asking for mercy. He knows that he wronged this guy and he knows that he wronged him at a pretty great cost too, Right? In fact, that word patience that he asked for, give me patience, it's, it's actually the, the Greek word persevering is often translated as a long suffering. So suffer long with me is what he asked this other servant. And so listen, tra- track with me here, okay, because we have to hold a lot of details together in order to make this story pop the way I believe Jesus meant it to pop in our lives. When you forgive someone, it is costly, family, That's part of the truth of this parable. It's $20,000 costly. Like if I came in here today and I said, hey, can you give me $20,000? Most of y'all probably would not be able to do it because that's a costly amount that you don't have ready to give. And so $20,000 is a costly amount. Forgiveness, it costs something. And so I think that we tend to forget that, when we, uh, uh, w- that we suffer something when we forgive that is actually a suffering on us. Or to say it the other way, to ask for forgiveness is really to ask someone to suffer long with you. It's to suffer twice. Suffer the original sin that I had against you and suffer the debt that I occurred that that you now need to forgive me of. And so when you're asking for forgiveness, you're actually asking for a lot. You're saying, I know that I made you suffer and there's nothing that I can really do to make this right. And so please suffer with me again. This is heavy, y'all. Right? Like, I don't want forgiveness just to sound easy, piece of cake. Nor did Jesus in this story, family. It isn't easy. In fact, it costs the blood of a son, a perfect lamb, for forgiveness to be truly realized. And so, forgiveness is not cheap, it is actually the most expensive thing in the world. It costs God's blood to pay it, family. Forgiveness is expensive, and so this story, it doesn't cheapen forgiveness when Jesus says what we owe each other. It actually heightens forgiveness if we understand what Christ is really saying. Listen, when we think of suffering, I believe we often think about things like persecution, right? When we say, like, oh, let's suffer for the faith— But Christ in this story is asking you to suffer long, to suffer again, to long suffer 77 times in order to identify with him in forgiveness. And so you could sell your bins and move to a persecuted third world country to suffer, or you can forgive somebody who wronged you. Both of these realities are actually us identifying with Christ in his suffering. You see, then the dude, though, rather than identifying with Christ in this, is like, no. Nah. And he throws them in jail, right? Which, which in jail, by the way, it's much harder to forgive the debt than it is out of jail anyway, if not impossible to forgive the debt while in jail, which often happens, by the way, family, like we throw people into our mental jails unwilling to give them forgiveness, not realizing it becomes impossible for them to pay off that debt in our mental jail so they stay as a slave in our minds, weighing us down with their sin because we have to feed that prisoner to keep that prisoner alive. Therefore, we, it's expensive to us and we end up just enslaving ourselves when we throw somebody in jail and not offer forgiveness. Listen, Christ is trying to deliver you, family of God. Do you hear me? This is a serious issue, and Christ is being serious about this. Forgiveness, yes, it does cost something, but it also frees you at the same time, beloved. It's important that we understand this. And so now we move to the last act of this idea. The guy throws them in jail, doesn't offer him forgiveness, and the other servants, they saw it, and they were distressed. They're like, wait, what? What? right? Like, like, then they go tell the king, the king said that this man was wicked, and then throws him in. That word for jail or jailers there is actually the Greek word tormentors. He essentially throws him in hell, okay? Unforgiveness lands you in hell. I mean, unless, the word's pretty clear, right? This is a heavy sentence. I know, family of God. Like, like, we have to let this one sit a little bit. Jesus says, such is our destinies if we do not forgive from our hearts. Yikes. Okay, that's the end of the parable, so let's pray together. Just kidding. I mean, dog, this is really hard. Is it not? Or maybe I've been the only one that has been really offended that's really hard to forgive. Isn't this hard for you to do, family? To actually imitate Christ in this way, right? Right? Like, the key message of Jesus' parable here is that we need to forgive the way that God has forgiven us, but this is unbelievably difficult to do. And so just like last week, just because someone is excellent in their theology does not mean they're mature in their Christianity. To actually be mature in Christ is to walk like Christ and to be like Christ. And some of the words of Jesus are hard to follow and apply, saints, They're hard to live out. The Bible is not saying that it's easy to forgive, nor is it saying it's natural to forgive, but it is saying it's Christian to forgive. This is what the saints of Christ look like. And there's many reasons why Jesus would lay this heavy weight on us in some ways that, that feels like a burden, but in reality, it's free. And so I, I want to break it down to help us get practical. Why in the world is Christ calling for this radical of a idea of forgiveness? Why is Jesus emphasizing it this much that he would threaten with tormenting the person who does not forgive? Well, first of all, I believe it's important to forgive because personal animosity is a poisonous cancer to gospel-centric community. Poisonous, right? Personal animosity, it is poisonous, it is cancerous to a gospel-centered community. If you don't believe me, ask about 40% of people in here who have jacked up family relationships because of some aunt's personal pride and her inability to forgive, And now all the families all jacked up, came to do Thanksgiving together, right? Personal animosity, it begins to destroy the very thing that Christ bled and died for, our unity, family. This is what Christ clearly cares about. I mean, look at verse 31 again, right? Unforgiveness, it doesn't just hurt myself, though he already said that, nor does it hurt the person that I am unwilling to forgive, but it actually hurts the people around me as well. Why? Because imagine if the response of the king was totally different than this right? Like, imagine if the king was like, oh, he choked him and threw him in jail? I mean, he did owe him some money, so, right? Like, imagine what type of kingdom that would create. It would not create the kingdom of God. I believe it would begin to create hell on earth, which is why a lot of us are in these jacked up, hellish-like relationships, because we're not able to apply the gospel, y'all, right? It begins to create a counter kingdom, not the Lord's kingdom. And so the king, he's rightly angry at this, y'all. And the people, they're, they're rightly distressed because that posture is not the gospel. If held to the standard of unforgiveness that this, that this unforgiving servant is holding others to, then I believe that each of us would be in hell for all of eternity, Let me say that again. If we hold each other to the standard that this person is holding people to, which Christ is kind of saying, this is a lot of our hearts, I believe that all of us would be in hell for all of eternity. Because our sins, they keep measuring up again and again and again. And so unforgiveness, it poisons gospel community because unforgiveness is the antithesis of the gospel family. And therefore, you are unable to see the gospel played out. And so when you don't see it, it should really distress you, y'all. It should kinda mess up your soul a little bit when you see unforgiveness, okay? Now listen, y'all, okay, I, I know, we're, we're humans, right? And I know even from my own cultural bent, what, what my idea of forgiveness has done is completely uh, inverted from what Christ is saying here. And so I know that we tend to think, well, doesn't this just allow like the ability for the sinner to continually abuse the Christian's readiness to forgive? Uh, yeah, it does, right? It really does. It, it does allow for that to be mishandled. That's why Paul would say in Romans 6, hey, this grace is not so you can sin more and more so that more grace may abound. That means you don't understand grace, Right? It actually should liberate us. And so, yes, it does allow for people to, to malign that forgiveness. But first of all, that does not stop God from forgiving you, though you continually abuse his grace towards you. That does not stop God from offering grace and mercy again and again and again. God continues to forgive us, family, despite the fact that in our repentance, we're often not even really sorry. We're just going through the Christian motions so that we can think that we're feeling righteous again. I must just be talking to myself, right? Don't y'all do that too, family? Right? We just go through the motions. And so we have to be careful about how we excuse ourselves from forgiveness, We got to be careful because if God played the same card upon us, I think that the end of this parable will be true for all of us. Secondly, though, does this allow for people to malign this? This is why where the placement of this parable is really, really important, okay? Because earlier in Matthew chapter 18, it's where Jesus tells church leaders to excommunicate unrepentant sinners for the protection of the church, and a lot of people don't like that passage either in like a super loving culture, but it's actually really, really important. And so those who do not repent, we remove them because the protection of the body, it matters to God. If protection did not matter to God, there would not be a gate around the eternal kingdom. Like one day we will be protected from harm forever. And so the church is meant to reflect that on earth as it will be in heaven in a way, right? Right? And yet we all know that if carried out to its extreme, then none of us would be in this gospel community. And so we have to apply it and work towards what we know to be true. So protection does not negate our responsibility to be ready to forgive, family. It does not negate it at all. Because if God treated our sin and forgiveness the way that we treat others' sin and forgiveness, there'd be very few people in heaven, family. Most of us wouldn't make it. And so so yes, (laughs) Right, Like like that tension is real, which is why the parable is placed where it is, immediately after this idea of church discipline. But if we are tempted to practice church discipline more readily than we are to practice Christ-like forgiveness, then I'm not sure we felt the full weight of Christ's forgiveness towards us. Right? Like, like let's keep it a grand. The only person who has the right to withhold forgiveness is Christ himself. And praise God he doesn't withhold forgiveness. He gives it Readily, family. Listen, I think we often, at least I often, withhold forgiveness because when a wrong is done, I rightly desire justice. And we tend to not forgive because we think that justice will be the balm that our hearts need. I have at least three witnesses here. What if justice is not the medicine right? Like like, what if the true healing of the heart occurs when we act like Christ? What if because we are created in the image and likeness of God that when we act like God is when we come fully alive? What if the joy that we're looking for comes when we act like God and forgive with extreme measure? What if that's the remedy our souls need, All Right, In fact, When we entrust justice to God, when the person asks for forgiveness, what we're saying to God is, I trust that you will protect me, because I believe in you. And so forgiveness now becomes an act of faith. And both of these realities can be true at the same time, I would say particularly in healthy communities, And so the tension is real between justice and forgiveness, and and that tension is present. But I believe what this parable seems to uh, suggest is that we have to understand the cost of our sin if we are to begin to forgive the way that God has forgiven us. And this is not easy to do because most of us think we're pretty good people and make a couple of mistakes here and there, but Christ would say something totally different, y'all. He would say there's iniquity in our hearts. And it's hard to forgive when somebody has wronged you, especially when it feels costly, especially when it feels expensive, when it's $20,000 expensive, right? I remember one time, uh, Micaiah, my oldest daughter, she was like two or three years old. And we were letting her play with the iPad. And I actually remember why. It's because we had a newborn and we were like really tired. We were like, here, play with the iPad, all right? I ain't gonna front. That's good parenting sometimes, y'all, All all right. (laughs) Before I freak out on her, right? And so, hey, I played the iPad, you know, and so we were kind of like resting. And, and then, you know, he said, okay, Micaiah, you have 10 minutes left, right? Okay, Micaiah, you have five minutes left. You got to do that to kids, right? You can't just come take it, right? You have three minutes left, Micaiah. Okay, you have one minute left. Okay, Micaiah, it's time to be all done playing with the iPad. No! <laughs> right? Hey, Micaiah, it, it's time to be all done. Daddy said, it's time to be all done. No! right? Hey, Micaiah, I stand up. She grabs the iPad and starts sprinting from me, y'all. Like sprinting through our house. Now I start running after her and she realized this four or five speed was faster than her. I'm just kidding, I ain't a four or five no more, right? But I'm faster than my two-year-old daughter, right? And so she starts running and she looks behind, sees that I'm close and throws the iPad against a wall. It hits the wall and it shatters glass all over the floor and my daughter tests your pastor's sanctification in that moment, (laughs) y'all, right? And I like grabbed her and I like let her go and I was like, I don't know what to do, right? And listen, y'all, like I had to like preach with like paper notes the next week. Like I was bitter while I was preaching at my daughter, right? And in some senses, it was like a little bit difficult to forgive because it was like, I let you play with this. Like, Like I was being kind to you when you threw it against the wall, right? And yeah, I tell that silly story to tell like a true story. Like like I had a hard time forgiving her because she broke a piece of expensive equipment. Yet you and I, we're ruining God's whole creation, yet he continues to forgive, right? Like, like in order for us to be appreciative for how much God forgives, we have to see how weighty our sin is before a perfect and a holy God. And if we realize how much we've been forgiven in Christ, we'll be far more ready to forgive others, family, In some ways, that's why this parable ends with this idea of forgiveness of the heart. Why Christ makes this not a theology issue, but a heart issue. Because I believe that if we have a heart full of worship about how much we've been forgiven by God, then we will actually be ready to forgive. You see, ironically, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. If Christ had waited till we were repentant, that would have never happened. And yet he was ready to forgive us. And so it is really, really hard, if not impossible to forgive like this, unless you realize that you've been forgiven by God, which I would then go on to say that, man, if you're not a Christian in here today, I think it's really hard to apply this parable because you've yet to receive forgiveness like this. Your friends may have forgiven you to some extent, or, or, or you may have family members that, that kind of love you, but all humanity has conditional love. This God of the universe has this unconditional love, ready to forgive everything that we have ever done, all of our wrong. And when we receive that, we are much more ready to apply this parable and forgive, family. And so forgiveness becomes hard to experience unless we remember our sin and our freedom that is found in Christ. Martin Luther King Jr., he said this. He said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. Pause. We all know his life. I chose somebody famous so that we would actually be able to relate to this. If there's anybody that would have had a very hard time and maybe even a justified time being unforgiving, it was this brother And he says we have to maintain this capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. That's why when you feel unforgiving, you don't feel very loving, and you're often devoid of love in your life around you. There's some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are much less prone to hate our enemies And I agree with this, family. In fact, I believe that that's part of the trick of forgiveness, if you will. If you go back to verse 27, there's a really key word that I think is used there. It's actually emphasized in the Greek. It's this word pity, right? He had pity on them And see, when you realize the type of mess that any individual that sins against you, that that person is in, when you realize the debt that that individual owes a holy and righteous God, when you think about the condition of a person's soul, rather than moving you toward justice, it will move you towards forgiveness, family. It'll give you pity. Are y'all tracking with that idea? Right. Like, listen, like another way to say this is when you're thinking only about yourself and the wrong that is done to you, naturally, justice will be the right and the true response. And God will give that one day, family. Let's not get it twisted in here. Right. But when you're looking at the offender and you're thinking about their soul and the state of their condition and what will happen with them before a holy God, if they're unrepentant, it will move you towards mercy. If you are a Christian, that will inevitably spring forth, family, because either they're going to go to hell forever for their sin. That's how serious God is about sin, y'all. You think that you feel weighty because the person wronged you, you don't feel that weighty. God's anger towards sin is heavier than all of us in this room combined, family. So either they will spend eternity separated from God or the Son of God died for that sin. And when you look at that person's debt and you think about that, it'll move you towards pity. It'll move you towards compassion if you know how much you have been forgiven, when you think about others as more significant than yourself, when you look at someone else's sin-filled heart over your hurt-filled heart, when you move out of pity, this allows us to begin to open up this idea of forgiveness. And what we're doing is we're hoping that forgiving the wrong, absolving the debt, actually allows for this uh, a restoration, this renewal of the soul so that they don't go on and hurt other people like that as well. We hope they experience the kindness of Christ that they would begin to live like Christ in this world. And so we have to rightly see our sin before God and how he treated us in order to rightly forgive others, okay? Let me give an analogy that I hope is kind of helpful for this because no matter how many words we give, I I don't think that we'll be able to think about our sin in that way, okay? In my hand is a piece of rice. Can y'all see that? Back there? Yeah, no, okay, it's there, okay? Okay. See how my fingers aren't fully touching, right? This is a piece of rice, okay? And what I want this little piece of rice to represent is I want it to represent uh, $20,000 of sin, like a serious debt, okay? So just because this piece of rice is small, don't allow that to then make you think, oh, sin is small. No, this is $20,000 of debt, right? Kale, can I have $20,000 today? I don't have it, right? (laughs) Unless you do, I'll take it, bro, all right, okay? All right, so this is a serious offense. And this is, Jesus says, this is what other people's offense are towards us. It is like this piece of rice right here, okay? And then what Christ says is he says, I want you to recognize how much I have forgiven you. And so he comes and he says, I've forgiven you this unbelievable debt, right? This is your debt before me. (laughs) This is your debt before me a holy and a righteous God. That's actually not true. That's only half of our debt. We're gonna have rice for the business meeting, y'all. Look, look, look. Look, don't miss the analogy. All right? Think about the worst thing somebody's done to you. Jesus says it's this. Here's you before God. Jesus says, forgive your brother 77 times. So cool, let's take like 77 of these, like probably about like that. It didn't even do anything to that pile, right? I literally went and calculated how many rice is in a pound of rice. This is like a legitimate analogy, okay? (laughs) Jesus says, this is us before him, right? Rice all on Shannon's feet. Sorry, Shannon, right? Like, so he says, look, 77 times, right? But it doesn't even do anything to the pile. And so even if you forgive and you forgive and you forgive, it doesn't even measure up to what you and I have been forgiven before a holy and righteous God. Family, do you see this? And by the way, this is what Christ has forgiven you, family. Let's not get it twisted. That's just one person right there. Now let's add all of humanity and all of human history. That's what Christ paid on the cross, family of God. Jesus' forgiveness is unbelievable. It is unbelievable, family. And this is where you and I can begin to apply this because none of us forgive like that. We have a hard time forgiving a single little tiny grain, let alone forgiving in the way that God has actually forgiven us. And so the, the, the reality of this story, family, is that there's this huge loss in this parable because neither person really pays the debt that was owed. And so somebody lost. It was the king who lost in the parable. You see, the king says, I will sell your family to pay this debt. But instead of selling our family, Christ, God, sold his son, Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin so that you would be forgiven, saints, Do you realize what you have been forgiven by God? He wants to bestow this upon you. You see, Jesus is the better king who not just forgave us our debt. He became that debt for us so that we might have a life everlasting. Jesus is not just the better king either, he's also the better servant of the story, because Jesus went to jail to be tormented, and he was tormented while he was on that cross and laying in that grave, so that when he got up, we could be forgiven that our debts might be paid, and rather than, than going and choking someone, Christ was choked on our behalf. Rather than having this withholding of our sin, he actually paid for our sin that we might be like God, and now he says, go and be like me. Go and be like me. In fact, forgive 77 times. And even if you do that, you're still really far off from being like me. Is it hard? Yes, family. That is hard to do. But when you and I forgive like this, it creates this counterculture. And so, listen, I could give all the caveats in the world about justice and about protection and about excommunication and and all of those things. And that is right because, look, y'all, sin is really messy, right? Sin ruins everything. That's what we've been saying. Sin messes up so many things. And so, yes, Christ has more to say. But look at this. Right When we begin to think about our sin, can we not at least begin to be moved to compassion when others sin against us and against God? Do they not deserve the forgiveness that you have received as well, beloved? They deserve it, family of God. And see, the underlying message of this is clear. Jesus is asking you to trust him. He's asking you to be like him. He's telling you that mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. And I pray that we would be a family that actually does this. Listen, I hate sermons like this, okay? Because there's 90 more stories I want to share and tons of things I want to exegete from the text and, and talk about. But I just pray that we would be a church that acts as much like Christ as we possibly can on earth, imitating him until he comes, even to the death of our own selves and the death of our own rights, because we really believe in the beauty and the power of the gospel, and that we would be a church that forgives like Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. Man, Christ, first of all, I confess on behalf of all of this church, myself included, that I do not think of my sins like that pile of rice. I think of my sins like three or four grains, maybe. In fact, while preparing this sermon... (laughs) I had this hard time forgiving different individuals in my heart because I was thinking about the sin that they had done against me, as if as if my sin isn't crazy before you. And so, Christ, first I ask for forgiveness for myself, for our church, where we begin to not reflect the kingdom, where we begin to paint a counter kingdom. Forgive us, Jesus. Christ, I pray for those who are in extremely difficult situations. God, where it may be really hard to forgive or maybe even in some ways impossible because there's not real repentance or or real restoration, I pray that you would bring protection, Jesus. But I pray for many of us the sin that's done against us that we would entrust things to you, the just and right God, who will bring forth justice one day. God, I pray for healing for my brothers and sisters right now, Jesus, right now, Christ. I pray for healing for those of us who have been hurt in a crazy way, who have a hard time putting this to practice because of how much wrong was done. Would you heal us? Would you let us believe in the gospel, Jesus? that you became, you became, you took this on, Christ, not just to forgive the person that was doing the offending, but to forgive us as well, to wash us clean that we might feel anew. And Christ, I pray as we receive that cleansing, as we receive that forgiveness, as we receive your covering, as we receive your mercy, that you would allow us to then radiate forgiveness or grace or mercy back towards others as well. I pray that we would be a counter-worldly kingdom so that we can bring forth the true and better kingdom on earth as it will be in heaven. Christ, one day all of that will be forgiven. And then you will add all of this on top of itself and all of our sin that all of us have done and you'll wipe it all away. Help us, Jesus, to believe that, to receive that. Please forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.